This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Those of you that are new to church this morning, we give you a very, very warm welcome. So today, we are continuing our series talking about Thrive. What does a thriving Christian life look like? You remember that in this series that's based on um, the verse that Jesus talks about in John 10, verse 10, where he says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life, life to the a full life, a thriving life. So what does one of those lives look like? And in, verse, uh, in week one, sorry, we talked about truth and that our foundation in life must be on the truth of Scripture and the truths that are taught about Jesus and who he is to us. The second thing we uh, talked about was being rooted. Do you remember we looked at the parable of the sower? We're going to cover a little bit of that, but uh, we learned that we are called to be fruity people, aren't we? And that we are called to be good soil for the Word of God, for his message. So what I want to talk to you about this morning and uh, the message that I've got to share with you laid on my heart uh, this morning is on a similar theme, but it's different. So what I mean by that is that life changes so much, doesn't it? It was so funny last night to be at, Matthew, uh, at uh, Martin, sorry, Martin's 50th birthday party. Martin was born in 1967. Any of you remember that year? Can you remember that year, Chris Aldo? 1967. Why can't you remember 1967, Chris? Because you weren't here. When were you born? 1999. He's going to party like it's 1999. But 1967, I only know three things about 1967, Martin, because that happens to be the year that my elder brother was born as well. It was the year uh, where the Beatles released, it must be love, love, love. It was the year that my brother was born. Peter was born in May of that year. And the other thing that I know, the little bit of a petrol head in me, is that uh, Donald Campbell, that was the year that he died uh, while trying to uh, break the uh, water speed record up at Corniston. And interestingly, he's still the only man today to have held both the land speed and the water speed record at the same time. But Martin, things have changed, haven't they? Things have certainly changed. The stuff that Martin and I used to play with as kids have now become vintage or retro. Cassette tapes, Walkman, even like Sony DSs and stuff like that are beginning to become retro because things have changed. And in our education, I don't know about you, but have you noticed things have changed there too? We no longer do the times tables. Have you noticed that? Because 8, 6 are? Thank you, Mark. You can tell that Mark knows his. 9, 9's are? See, you can tell all the fogies in the back there all answering, shouting out the answers to them. So some of the things that I don't like has changed. The focus on grammar has gone. People with their apostrophes in the wrong place or not there at all or there when they shouldn't be there. It drives me nuts. Does it drive you nuts? Yes, you can tell the old people in the room. <laughs> but the other thing is that children aren't taught any nursery rhymes every, anymore. Have you, know, have you, have you, you can talk to children about nursery rhymes and they don't know anything about it. They don't know anything about, hey, diddle, diddle, the cat played the... Yes. 
And you're finishing it in your heads, aren't you? They don't learn Proverbs either. A stitch in time saves. A bird in a hand is worth. There we are. You're all showing your age there. A Welsh one. Ir pant a reader. A dwr Which is the Welsh version for birds of a feather. I've never understood that. Birds of a feather. Great minds think alike and fools ne- seldom differ. Don't get the paradox that's there. So, the other thing that we don't learn is the collective term for things. So I thought I would do a quick exercise just to check the old school education system versus the new school education system today and to see how many of these can be answered. So I'm giving an opportunity for anybody under the age of 30. You know who you are? You know who you are under the age of 30? So if you're 20-something, that means, or in your teens, you can answer this question. And if you don't know it, then uh, we, the rest of the room, are going to help you answer the questions, hopefully. The collective term for things. So to give you some examples so you know where I'm heading, I'm going to ask you 10 questions. A what of birds? A flock of birds, yeah? A herd of cows and a swarm of bees. Okay? Those collective terms for animals. So let's see how the under-30s do. Under-30s, hands up, no shouting, no shouting. A group of wolves is called a pack, well done. A group of fish is called a shawl. A what of lions? Pride. There's somebody over 50. I heard a voice there. Shout out pride. You wish you were under 30. They're getting difficult. A what of owls? A what of owls? And I see Andrea sucking in air because you know this, don't you, Andrea? Go on, Andrea, 48, is it? 49, how old are you? 46 plus... A parliament of owls. They get harder. A what of rabbits? (laughs) (laughs) Who said lot? (laughs) A colony of rabbits. A what of magpies? There's two for this. You should know this. If anyone here is a church minister, you should know this. Guess it. A what of? A congregation of magpies. Or the other version, a murder of magpies. Hmm. A what of baboons? A what? Who said troop? Well done. The veterinarian amongst us gets a troop of baboons. A what of frogs? An army of frogs. A what of gorillas? Number nine. Okay, adults. A band of gorillas. Indeed. And then lastly, is it hippopotamus? What's the plural of hippopotamus? Hippopotamuses. I learned that this week thanks to the internet. I thought it was hippopotami, but it's not. It's hippopotamuses. So, a what of hippopotamuses? A bloat of hippopotamuses. And then the four that I like just for myself, because I really like these, because I thought a kaleidoscope of butterflies. Isn't that wonderful? I like that. A convocation of eagles. 
I like that. A wisdom of wombats. <laughs> and this is the one I like, a bask of crocodiles. That's really cool. Because we don't learn those terms anymore, do we? So can I ask you, what's the collective term for people that believe in Jesus and have decided to follow him? Are we an army? Are we a congregation? What are we as Christians, those that confess to love Jesus and to follow him with all our hearts, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength? The collective name for believers is? Disciples is one. Anything else? Church, anything else? Body, anything else? They were called it first at Antioch. Christians, anything else? And it's amazing, isn't it? There's these wide and varied, var- there's these wide and varied terms that we use. But even those of us that have been attending church for years, we still kind of have a bit of fuzziness and still have gray areas about what it actually means to be a collective group of people that believe in Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16 as we turn to the scriptures together. I've got two texts that I want to share with you this morning before we uh, get into God's word uh, quickly. And the first text is to be found in Matthew chapter 16 as we learn what it is together to be a group of people that love and serve God. Matthew writes in his account, he says this in verse 13 of Matthew 16. He says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Say it with me. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you buy on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven then he orders ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the messiah if you want to roll back a couple of weeks on podcast you can hear a great message called friend of jesus that ian morgan spoke at our church here i took out half of my message as a result of that sermon Go back and listen to it because Ian teaches us as a church to help us understand that the collective name for believers is the church. The church. We are the church of Christ, the church of God. And the word church was first used here by Jesus and he deliberately picked this word ecclesia which means gathering. 
It's a gathering of people. And in that time, the ecclesia in Christ's time was a gathering of people that would, would come together, either elders to conduct meetings or some official way that people would gather together to resolve things or to move things forward as a group. And so council meetings were conducted in that way. And he, Jesus, deliberately uses this word ecclesia that we've translated to be the word church today to mean what it means to us today the gathering of the people of god and turn with me to the second scripture that i want to share with you which is from john chapter 15 jesus says this i am the true vine and my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful you are already clean because of the word i have spoken to you remain in me as i also remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me i am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and i in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing can you read that with me apart from me you can do nothing if you do not remain in me you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay one's life down for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. What's he called us, Dan? Friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Last time we were together, we talked about this principle of being rooted. We talked about the parable of the sower. Jesus teaches us about three types of soil. The flighty type of soil that the birds come and take it away. Rocky soil that's full of stones, prickly where the thorns are, or fruity. The dictionary definition of planted is a little bit different though. You see, for something to be rooted is something that happens naturally and often by accident. 
Those of you who are gardeners here will know often that weeds find their roots in your garden. You didn't plant them. They just come. And to be rooted is something that happens perfectly naturally where there is good soil. Weeds grow in good soil as much as good fruit. But to be planted, now being planted is something different. There's no accident there. In fact, the dictionary definition of planting is to put a seed or bulb or plant in the ground so that it can grow. Or the second definition, to set or to place in a particular position a plant or a seed that it may grow. The question I want to ask you this morning, you might have good soil in your heart, but what I want to ask you is where are you planted? Where are we as Christians planted? Are you in good soil that can grow? Are you set in a particular position that sets you up to thrive? Are you fruitful? Are you fruity today? Let's pray. Father God, as we turn to your word, look at this subject of being planted in you. Lord, as we open up what you teach us of what we are being part of the church together, and as we learn what it is to be in the vine, Christ Jesus, and to be planted in you today, Lord, will you open the horizons of our mind? Lord, will you open up the expanse of our heart and soul today to be able to apply to our lives the living Word of God that we might grow up to be fruitful in you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I ask you, are you a Remainer? We've had lots of conversation and lots of topics that we have been discussing over the last year, but the term Remainer has been one that has been linked to our exit or our, more importantly if you're a Remainer, our continuing to be involved in the European Union as a nation. But can I ask you, as a believer here this morning, and if you confess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, can I ask you, are you a Remainer? Not a Remainer in terms of a Brexit vote, but a Remainer in terms of what Jesus Christ is teaching us in John 15 about being part of Him, of being part of the true vine. I find it interesting when I study God's Word that I find that that word remain, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. I find it really interesting that Jesus is speaking to the disciples there and 11 times uses the word remain in John chapter 15. And I find it just interesting, nothing other than interesting, that out of the 12 disciples that he was speaking to, only 11, excluding Judas Iscariot, chose to remain in Christ. I find that interesting. And the question I want to ask you is, are you in the one true vine, Jesus Christ? Have you made the decision to remain in him? Are you planted in him, the one true vine? Because something unique happened when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came to earth. You see, when, G when 
Peter declares you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, when he said that you are the Messiah, things changed. Things changed for Peter. Things changed for the nation. Things changed for us when we acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's the Son of God come to die for us. The thing that changed is that the new covenant was ushered in when Jesus Christ came, died on the cross. We'll be talking about uh, Easter next Sunday, but today in the Christian calendar, we are celebrating Palm Sunday, aren't we? We're celebrating Palm Sunday together as a body of believers that we're celebrating Jesus coming into Jerusalem and all the fulfillment of prophecy that was done there where people are shouting, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, and they're throwing palm trees and he rides on the donkey and all of that taking place to fulfill prophecy. And yet, within a matter of days, Jesus was dead. Jesus had been cruelly crucified on a cross and fantastically on Easter Sunday, he rose again from the grave. Something incredible happened. What happened is that the new covenant, the new promise, the new testament was ushered in. It finished at Malachi and it jumped into us here in the Gospels and we live this side of time where the Messiah had come. And what Messiah did, what Jesus did, was he planted us in different soil. You see, up until then, the way that the Holy Spirit, or the way that God would work, God dwelt on men. He would come, and there would be his anointed, that he would call Noah, and Moses, and Abraham, and so many people, that God would call, and he would live on them. He would live on the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos, the, coming to fulfill all, coming to foretell and to, uh, uh, all of what Jesus would come to do and fulfill. But something incredible happened. Go back on podcast, type in search and look for a message called the robe that Andrea preached here around 18 months, two years ago. A fantastic story that is told of the new covenant being ushered in, that the temple curtains were torn in two from top, of from top to bottom, and that holy of holies that was reserved for the high priest has become our dwelling place right now. Everything changed. And what changed with the ushering of this new covenant that was fulfilled at Pentecost was that instead of like living in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit dwelt on men, he came in the New Testament and he made the decision through his great grand plan of redemption that the Holy Spirit would dwell in men. How awesome is that? Dan, are we being passive or active this morning? We've been passive this morning. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. Amen. Let me try again. If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He will quicken your body. That's what He says. So He dwells in us. And what happens sometimes in our theology about church is that we make this building and we make this temple in our minds, the place where God lives. I hear it prayed sometimes, where people say, they'll get up and they'll pray, Lord, we thank you that we can be in your presence today. 
Do you notice? I know we just use terminology flippantly, but there's nowhere that you can go to be outside the presence of God. Is there? That's old covenant thinking, old testament thinking, because God was like that at certain time. That he would come and he would dwell on men, and that he would be in the holy of holies. But now we're children of the new covenant, of the new promise, and God is everywhere. God is around us in everything that we do. And the fundamental thing that's happened is as we have shifted and moved God from the Holy of Holies and from the temple, and as he has come and he has lived in our hearts, we must make the shift too. But so often it's far, far easier for us as Christians to go back and live in legalism and to go back and live in the Old Testament. Verses like Psalm 92 verse 13 that I hear preached on incorrectly sometimes. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. God is not asking you to be planted in this house of God. God is not calling you to be planted in a building. God is not asking you either to be planted in the church, in a body of believers. What God is asking us to do is to be planted in Christ. I am the vine. If we are not planted in him, says Jesus, then we're good for nothing. We're like a branch that will wither and die. And we'll just gather you up and put you on the fire. God is challenging us through his word, through the preaching of the New Testament and through its teaching and through the coming of the Holy Spirit and through all of the doctrine that Paul and the apostles laid for us is that we put aside the stinking thinking of legalism, that we put aside the old house with its high priestly function where one man was appointed to come and be the high priest for all of us. Instead, there's the priesthood of all believers. The Holy of Holies has become our dwelling place. We all have a right to come in. We all have the power of Christ within our lives. And if we are rooted in him you will do greater works than even jesus did if we are rooted in him and we sing so often lord send your power oh if only our church would do this if only the church would do that you have it all at your disposal we have it all at our disposal all we have to do is to remain in him and if we remain in him he will remain in us and if he remains in us, I tell you, if the kingdom of heaven is in you, it can't help but spill out of you. You will want to pray for people who are hurting. You will want to teach people that when they're, in, when they're lost. You will want to come and you'll want to deliver the sick. You'll want, to, you'll want to do all kinds of things that will become incredibly powerful if you let Jesus in. I am the vine. You are the branches, is what Jesus teaches us. But instead, the church has wrestled with this for centuries. I'm reading a fantastic book by Andy Stanley at the moment called Deep and Wide. If you want to get it, phenomenal book. I think the first chapter of it is available off the internet uh, that you can read. But the, he covers the history of the church from Constantine where, uh, you know, as a, uh, he was responsible for bringing Christianity to Rome and stopped all the persecution. But one of the things that happened then and has passed down to us is ever since then this word ecclesia 
that Jesus introduced to us, to us in Matthew chapter 16, it suddenly got changed to mean building, to mean temple again. Jesus didn't pick the word temple when he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, you are my church. He deliberately didn't pick the word temple. He deliberately did not pick the word synagogue. He deliberately picked the word gathering for us to realize that we are the gathering of the believers of Christ. We are the vine. Sorry, he is the vine, sorry. We are the branches on that vine. And then in the Reformation that came with Luther in the 16th century, we see that breakaway and the church is restored to that missional context. And we as a church, let it be a warning to us that we as a church can become temple-led. That we can come here and be led by a pastor. Led by him. Don't be led by me. Be led by Christ. Be in the vine and be rooted in him. And I'm going to look at four areas where we can be planted in wrong places right now that can get us into trouble both as a church and as believers if we are not planted in Christ. Never let any pastor or bishop or elder tell you that you need to be planted in the house and you will flourish. They will teach you if they're godly that you are to be planted in the one true vine, Jesus Christ. You lay your roots down there and I'll tell you what, because the church will let you down. You lay your roots down there and you will be just fine. And I say that on the authority of God's word. So what can we be planted in? You see, what we could do sometimes is when we're called to be planted in Christ, what can sometimes happen is we have mixed loyalties. You see, Jesus teaches us that when we come to faith in Christ, he says, he'll turn husband against wife. He'll turn son against daughter. So coming to Christ... And accepting him is a big, big decision that we have to make because we have to be loyal to the one that has bought us and paid the price for us. And Jesus is quite clear. In fact, he goes on in Matthew 5, 6, in the Sermon on the Mountain, he goes on, he says, Blessed are you when people persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. And he says to us that we're not going to win any popularity contests by becoming Christians. And one of the popularity cost, conte, uh, contests that we'll not win is with our family. You see, some people can be planted in family. And planted in family means that we're not rooted in Christ. It means that our roots are in our family. That can be your church family. It could be a group of people that think in a particular way and you can find ourselves being planted there instead of being planted in the one true vine, Christ Jesus. Equally so, our own flesh and blood. We can, be find, we can find ourselves something being rooted in family instead of being rooted in Christ and not understanding the scriptures correctly. Can I ask you, are you rooted in Jesus or are you rooted in family? Second question I've got to ask you might be relating to your career. You planted in your job. Is your job everything? Now I know that Edwin and uh, 
Janet have come forward today and one of the things that they've promised to do is to provide for their children. I know we need to live and we need to work, but it can't be the be-all and end-all of our lives. It is part of what we do. Are we, part, are we planted in Jesus Christ in the one and true vine or are we planted in our careers? Is that where we are? Are we planted in our family? Are we planted in our careers? Or are we planted in the one true vine, Jesus? The third thing. Are we planted in the house, in church, instead of in Christ? That we become a holy huddle. We become an exclusive church that says, well, everything's great at our church. It's, everything's just hunky-dory right now. You know, the last thing we want is for some unbelievers to come in. The last thing we want is people to be saved, for them to come in with all of their baggage and their troubles. There's a wonderful story that's told of Life Church in, in Bradford, the place that we go to um, as a church for a lot of the conferences that we, that we attend here, is that once the mission of the church had, be, had a focus to reach the lost. They said people had to pick up their handbags from church and put them away. People had to watch their phones because things were being stolen at church. I look forward to a day where stuff's going to get stolen at our church. I'm just saying. Don't we look forward to that day? Where people are coming into God's house that don't know the errors of their ways. I might see Dan's phone and say, I'll have that. <laughs> Hey, or are we an exclusive church that the last thing we want are those unlikely people to come in because we can be rooted in church? What was said about Jesus? He is one that associated himself with who? Publicans and sinners, the worst of the worst. He's walking one day and he sees Zacchaeus, the worst of the worst. And he shouts up to him in front of all the people. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for tea. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But can you imagine the storm that it set up? Are we planted in church and it become a religious place for us? And if you need a pattern for that to be able to see what it looks like, just read the New Testament. Just read all of the complaints of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were complaining at Jesus all the time that he was healing people on a Sunday, that he was doing all manner of crazy stuff to set people free instead of following the law. Pastor, my phone has been stolen at church. I say, well, look after your phone then. My car's been stolen. Well, where did you leave your keys? You wouldn't do that if you're out shopping, would you? Throw your keys somewhere. We've got to, I pray, I pray the day comes that we have to look after our kit here in the church because of what we're doing. And then fourthly, what are we planted in? Are we planted in, in false ideology? You know, sometimes we can be so near to the kingdom of heaven, so near to Jesus, that sometimes we miss stuff. Sometimes we miss what it is to truly love. Sometimes we miss what it is to truly be compassionate. 
Andrea spoke a fantastic message and followed by the message from uh, Dan last week. You know, if you've not caught it, if you, I know you're away on, uh, away on holiday and, and going, uh, traveling Nomi, but grab those two podcasts, you and others that weren't in church. The message that Andrea p- spoke Sunday before last on uh, mercy and compassion and courage and all of that and the message followed by Dan last week on friendship. They are patterns for us of how we need to live if we are rooted in the vine, Christ Jesus. So first off, we need to be planted in Christ. And then finally, we need to be sustained by love. And thirdly, fruitful in works and deeds. So are you planted? Planted in the right thing. Planted in the vine of Christ. Not in this house, not in this place, but planted in Him. Planted not in our family, but planted in Him. Planted not in our career, but planted in Him. Planted not in the ideology that we have around church and how we should run, but that we are planted in Christ Jesus, the true vine. Sustained by love. John, 15 verse, John 14 verse 15 says, By this will you know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Acts 2 verse 44 goes on to say, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. I need two volunteers. I want to finish with an illustration this morning. It's a very practical illustration about love. So I'm going to ask two of our fantastic-looking young men here with the best hairdos I've ever seen in church for a long while to come. And Dan, I know you're looking at me thinking I'm going to be calling you, but I'm afraid you're too old uh, for this one. Give a big round of applause to Roy and to Crisaldo. Can you come out here this morning? You right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I want to sh- uh, show here, this was an illustration. I remember this illustration being used in my youth group, and there's never been a more powerful illustration that has stood with me throughout the whole course of my time about what it is to have real good, meaningful, loving friendships with each other. Shall I show you what it looks like? Get up on there. Go on. Fantastic. Okay, so what I want you to do is I want you, we're going to try this one way, that you're going to try and pick him up. You're on the higher ground, okay? So what I want you to do is try and pick Roy to come up on your chair. Do we think that's going to work? <laughs> no, okay. So let's swap it over then. And you go over there. You try and pick him up then. Okay, so you try and pick him up, and you're going to stop. I want you to be dragging down, and I want you to try and pick him up, and let's see who wins, okay? Sorry? You think you should swap round? I think we'd be okay. Go for it. Come on in. So you try and... What are we doing? We're swapping over. Yeah, he's, he's actually stronger than you are. Is it? I'm going to pick him up here. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. We're doing it differently. Go for it. I, I trust him. Yeah, but you trust him. Okay. So you're, you're going to try and pull him down. You're going to try and pick him up. Let's see who wins. Go for it. <laughs> I'm going to pick him up. No. I want you to pull him down. And you're going to try and pick him up. Go for it. Yeah. This is physics. Go on. Go for it. You try and pull him down. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's quite obvious that the one who's pulling down is going to win, isn't it? Isn't it? And that's the challenge of the Christian life. So come on back up there again. The challenge of the Christian life a lot of the time is the relationships that we have around us. If we are going to be around people that are going to pull us down, we're going to lose. And this is connected in some way to the message that uh, was preached to us last week, you know, about lifting each other's hands up, where we were talking about Moses and the illustration that you were giving about her and Aaron. 
You know, that we are here to lift each other up. So how does this relationship need to work if they're friends? How does it need to work? You need to be up on the chair too, don't you? Go and get up on the chair too. Fantastic. No, you can hold and support each other, can't you? You're not going to stay like that in a storm. Okay, did you see that? Okay, come on. So do you see a change? When they're on higher ground together, what happens? They want to hold each other when they're up on higher ground. And God has called us. Give them a round of applause as they go. God has called us to be on higher ground. God has called us to be rooted in him, the vine. Now, I don't know about you. I'd hate to be stood up in a chair all on my own there, flagging in the wind. But what God has done, he says, if I plant myself in Jesus, if I root myself in him, he is the rock and it doesn't roll. I'm going to be rooted in him. And what happens if we root into the vine, we all stand together and we can all hold each other in the storm. But all that's required is for people to start pulling us down. That we began to come against what, is, what someone feels is happening in their life. And we, we come and we undermine. And we bring criticism. And we bring judgment. And we can bring envy. And we can bring strife. All the things that are talked about in Galatians chapter 5. Where he tells us, when he says about the fruits of the Spirit, that we should demonstrate these things in our lives. He says that after all the deeds of the flesh. And he lists all the things that's so easy for us as a church to do. So easy for us as friends to turn upon each other. But let's church remain in him, shall we? Let's be planted in Christ Jesus. And let's love him. If you love me, says John, Jesus in John 15, keep my commandments. Let's be great friends. Let's be rooted in him. And let that vine collectively be called all the names that we could call it. The Bride of Christ. The Church. Good News. Christians. We could call it whatever we want in whatever collective name we have for it. As long as we acknowledge that it must be rooted in Christ Jesus, the head of the church, the foundation, the cornerstone from which all lines are pulled in our lives and in our identity. Thank you. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.